How do you tell the difference between somebody who's being present to much greater degrees of distress and somebody who's actually being re-traumatized and like in a way that's not useful? You have to kind of, you have to be able to recognize that difference and, and that's, and, and, and also know the territory well enough to know the difference. Welcome to episode number one of the Trauma-Sensitive Mindfulness Podcast. I'm your host, David Trelevin, author of the book, Trauma-Sensitive Mindfulness, and our guest today is Will Kebetsin. Will's an amazing meditation teacher and human being, and I'm really excited to have him on the podcast. Will was actually one of the first people that I met when I moved to California about 10 years ago from Canada, and I see Will as a teacher and a practitioner who really walks his talk. His teaching is grounded in years of training and practice, and he's really at the forefront of the conversation around meditation and trauma. He leads a weekly meditation group on Sunday evenings in Berkeley, California. It's really well attended. And he also regularly leads meditation retreats at Spirit Rock Meditation Center and other centers around the U.S. Before I start the interview, and given this is the inaugural episode, of the Trauma-Sensitive Mindfulness Podcast, I just wanted to take a moment and say welcome. This is a podcast where we'll be exploring the particular relationship between mindfulness, meditation, and trauma. And, you know, I grew up with radio and also more recently with podcasts, and interviewing people is something that I've always wanted to do. My goal with the podcast is to bring you some provocative, engaging, and ideally useful conversations for you about trauma-sensitive mindfulness. These are the conversations that I really want to be having and I'm excited to have you along for the ride. If you have any feedback about guests that you think I should interview or ideas that you want me to dig deeper into, you can always contact me through my website. So with that said and without further ado, here's Will Kebetsin. It sounds like you were digging into my book a little bit recently and some of what i've learned from meditation teachers um is that they said you know i was already doing this i was already doing this automatically and um it just makes me curious if as you've been checking out the work a little bit of practices that you either have already been doing or um kind of trauma quote-unquote trauma sensitive practices that for you you found work really well you've you introduce into practice um, or if there's any that I'd be curious that you thought, oh, this, this would work for some people I'm working with. I just, I'm curious how you're thinking about um, modifications and practices. Uh, well, first of all, to, you know, I haven't finished your book, but I, I've read a bunch of it. And I know this is your podcast, but just to plug your book for, for a second, I, you know, I think it, there is a kind of like a hindsight bias we know a little bit about i think it's it could be easy for teachers to look at your book and of course teachers want to know everything and say like i've already been doing this uh and i think that's probably true to a degree that some teachers have been including these practices but there is something about seeing the systematic way in which you put it all together that i think is very helpful i think it's going to be very helpful to teachers broadly so i want to just say that and i'm trying to think of as we're talking about like and again, I didn't, I didn't finish it, so I don't know everything that you talk about in there. But I'm trying to think of as we talk things that are complementary and not just, you know, things you already cover, right? Because you cover a lot in there. 
Well, uh, I could. Thanks for saying that. And maybe I can give you something specific. Um, a qu- question is around uh, someone's object or anchor of attention, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the pieces in the book saying it's okay to, to really break up the idea that, that uh, using the breath is the only way to be focusing one's attention. And there's a couple different suggestions of giving people different different anchors, maybe using sound mm-hmm. or different sensations. And one of the things that I recently heard from a teacher who was starting to use these different objects or offer different objects to people mm-hmm. is that the, this, the student would inevitably come back to them and say, you know, I just feel, I feel like I'm messing it up because you're giving me something special. Mm-hmm. And this kind of this internalized idea that I think we will have in different ways of maybe the breath being, it's the form, like you were talking about, it's, it's the way. And if I'm not, if I can't do the form, there must be something wrong with me or, and so I'm wondering maybe even just around anchors and yeah. how you work with anchors there. Well, that's also in a way, again, it speaks to the lack of context, right? Because if, if people knew about the tradition, they would know that the you know there are so many different methods within right. even early Buddhist traditions. Forget about like Theravada, Mahayana, Vajrayana. <laughs> like mm-hmm. there, there's just so many methods that when you have an understanding of that context, it just makes it clearer that that idea that it's about some particular object is just wrong. Right? It, it's like the objects are their means. Right? It's 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 not about the breathing. Right? The breath is just a beginning support. So it's like to help you get a little stable with your present moment awareness, to have something to have it land on. Uh, and I think what, what, what happens is, but you could use that, you can use almost anything for that. And if you look at a lot of the different you know, ways that teachers are teaching, even just like the generation before us in Thailand and Burma, they use a lot of different methods for developing mm-hmm. samadhi or, or samatha, you know, like stability, stable. Uh, stable abiding in, in, in awareness, right? And, you know, uh, Goenka uses the, the breath of the nostrils and then the sweeping, right? And they're just, you can use hearing, you can use the, the, the sense of the whole body sitting, you can use touch points on the body. There's just so many different methods for cultivating that. Uh, but I think what happens is that, and I, I, I feel this as a teacher, is like pedagogically, we want to simplify because it's sort of hard to teach everything. When you, when you have a big group of people, if you give like 10 different objects, it's just confusing. Right. right? So, so I think what happens is pedagogically we make this choice and hopefully it's conscious that like, okay, I'm going to primarily reference the breathing, but I'll name a few other things, you know, but sometimes people don't name other things. And then, so I think, yeah, some of this just needs to be reframed. You know, like you say, like, oh, I must be doing it wrong. I'm getting some special guidance. But what if we just reflip that and be like, hey, I get some special guidance. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, when did special guidance become like you're doing something wrong? Like, what if your teacher's like, I got a secret teaching for you? And be like, oh, man, I don't want it. <laughs> it's like, okay, you get some special guidance. I think so. We just need to like... I guess it's just good to talk about, and I try to, I try to talk about that in, in when I'm teaching. But I think it's just especially this thing about not only is the breath not ultimate, but none of the forms are ultimate. 
they are very powerful. And it's good to not just like, you know, there's also this modern thing where people are like, I'll just cherry pick or what I'll just take. And that's also not great. It's like, you have to have a depth of understanding of the thing before you tinker with it. Yeah. You have to understand the essence before you start taking parts away or, or moving them around. And a lot of teachers who are teaching now, especially who don't have like a really deep training in this stuff, they don't actually understand what they're tinkering with. And so they could, it's in danger of taking away the, some of the central elements that make it powerful and transformative. So it's this question of holding both, which I think is really, we, you know, we have to, we have to hold both in that way, but it's an important thing about the anchors. You know, hearing is a wonderful anchor for people who, whose body feels like it's just too hard to inhabit. You know, it's like, yeah, it's just like, this is not a friendly place. And that's true for a lot of folks, you know, uh, or the breath is somehow like, it's just like, they automatically control it and it becomes constrictive and kind of uh, unnatural. You know, when they're not focusing on the breathing, they're breathing just fine. They focus on it, it becomes kind of very locked. I think hearing is a wonderful place to rest the attention. You can get very stable in hearing, but hearing is like inherently receptive and it's also spacious. You have to be kind of spacious to hear and it doesn't lock you into the sense of the body. And then you can be aware of sensations in that context within the context of stability. And I think that stability in a sense, what we call, you know, samadhi or samatha or the stable awareness, that's what in a way increases, I forget the term you use in there, like the say threshold of tolerance or something. Oh like yeah. That. Window of tolerance. Window yeah. of tolerance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's when that stability is present, you can be with a little more valence of experience. I say a little more, right? So we expand our capacity. So that's why that cultivation is important so that we can then tolerate a little more of the sensation. But if we just go straight to the sensation without any stability like that, or without having found a way to enter into stability, or you know, safety, settledness. If we just try to approach it, then it just becomes overwhelming too quickly, and it's not workable. Yeah, we, we get taken over, and that's as you you've talked about in your book. And I think you know, trauma. You know, so we learned a lot in trauma theories and methodologies lately. It's like uh, that's not useful. So that yeah. that that stability. That's why these this question of the anchors is important. I think because people need to find a way to develop a relationship to present moment awareness that uh, works for them. And it's not overwhelming Uh, because like, you don't want to start learning how to swim by doing like the Alcatraz to San Francisco. (laughs) It's like, uh, let's start in the kiddie pool. You know, let's develop like some basic capacity here to swim before we take on these really intense things. All these metaphors, of course, they're, 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 they're limited. So I'll just say that. I also appreciate you saying about it being about needing to be um, inside of the practice or principle before starting to tinker with it. Mm-hmm. And um, the, what you just laid out right now about um, cultivating a certain, a certain bandwidth, or you could call it a window um, and doing that gradually over time. That, that to me is where we can really talk about the potential of, mindfulness and meditation for trauma healing mm-hmm. um, is I've, and I've seen now people do this over time. And I'm wondering if you've uh, worked with anyone or if you've had experiences here of really seeing someone uh, gradually increase their capacity to be with something challenging, something difficult, both internally and externally, not, not as an override, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. not as a way just that they're bearing it, but that they're actually, I, I met with someone who they really, they, what you said, the body was not a friendly place. It couldn't start there. And then it was like, okay, well, I can be with hearing. Mm-hmm. I can be with, I can be with sound. Like, and just this slow, beautiful, difficult path over time of being able to both inhabit the body and then over time also being with more and more difficult experiences. I, that to me is where this, I, I really get excited about um, the, where mindfulness can help a lot. I'm wondering if either you've had an experience like that in your own life or work with anyone that you've seen that kind of trajectory over time. I see it all the time. Oh yeah. I mean, that's to me, that's what's so inspiring about that's part of what keeps me in it, you know? Like, it's like, if I, I haven't found anything more powerful, really, you know? Mm-hmm. And again, that's not to say this is the only way or it's the only thing, but I see that all the time, you know? And I hear that from students all the time. And everything is a learning. It's not like I just applied this one technique and it magically did it. It's like this real learning how to inhabit presence awareness and 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 allowing and and learning how to be with experience the way it is and finding that it becomes less problematic and our capacity increases you know it's something that upandita used to say you know that teacher i was referencing about how you know you know he used to say um people would ask him like why doesn't why don't people tend to awaken all at once you know Mm-hmm. And, and he would mm-hmm. say, uh, because you wouldn't be able to tolerate either the pain or the joy. Oh, wow. <laughs> right. And, you know, yeah. so, so it's like, and I think people don't have that idea. People have that idea of practice. I'll just launch off into the happy place. <laughs> you know, Sometimes people have that idea about meditation. I'll just get like happy and peaceful and whatever. But they don't understand. It's like actually we increase in both directions. It expands our capacity up and down to increase, to tolerate joy and pleasure, which can also be activating or even triggering, right? Or in various ways and excitement and, 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 and engagement and also tolerate these, you know, sense, strong sensations, right? Or, or emotions that used to throw us over or take us over, right? And, 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 and it's amazing the capacity of what we, mm. know, what we can be present to. And not all at once. It's a practice, like you said, it's this process, this path. And everybody in, you know, we're in a very quick fix culture, so everybody's in a rush. But that is something, and we have lots of stories. I have stories just, you know, I have students who have had unbelievably, you know, unthinkably painful backgrounds, you know. And, you know, without referencing any specifics, because I kind of, care about honoring that kind of yeah, aspect yeah, of, of things right but yeah. you know family situations i grew up in the just seeing both the coming into themselves and this expanding capacity to be with their experience and starting to trust that more i mean that leads to so much even like a little bit of an increase in that again people we tend to think in all or nothing like but even a little increase in your capacity to be able to be present with things is a huge is huge degrees of freedom. Right? Yeah, I mean it's just like and 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 that feeds faith, right? It feeds our confidence in the practice. Well, let's not say faith has too many connotations, but it feeds our confidence mm. in the practice. So yeah, I see that all the time, and I find it endlessly inspiring. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
And does that mean people don't need like help finding their way? Of course they do. Does that not mean that people don't go through periods where they think, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. Is it yeah. okay if I swear on your part? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we're allowed. <laughs> what the hell am I, like, this isn't going anywhere, or I'm just, I feel totally stuck. I have no idea. Is this even progressing? Is it going? Sometimes it feels like in anything you practice where it feels like not only did you go back to where you started, but you may feel worse off than before. And that's why having a relationship with some kind of person who knows the territory, a teacher, is very useful. It's, mm. it's actually very important because how do you tell the difference between somebody who's making they're actually developing, they're being, but, but they're being present to much greater degrees of distress. Yeah. And somebody who's actually being re-traumatized and like yes. in a way that's not useful. You have to kind of, you have to be able to recognize that difference. And, and that's, and, and, and also know the territory well enough to know the difference. Yeah. yeah. That piece around, I'm, I'm really interested if we could, if you could dig in a little deeper because that to me is so much the essence of this conversation around trauma sensitive practices. How do you know when someone's increasing their capacity to be with more, or how do you know when they're re-traumatized? This comes up also around dissociation. Sometimes it's very difficult to distinguish between how do you know when someone's just in actually a, a pretty concentrated state or they're like checking out. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I'd say the, a big, uh, refrain in the book that I keep coming back to is it really matters about having relationship, keep coming back, being willing to just ask questions, be curious. But I'm wondering if you can talk about how do you just on a kind of a practical level, you as a teacher, um, how are you assessing that with folks? Yeah, this is where, you know, again, that's why it's good that you're writing a book, you've written a book about it and you have these ways of like formalizing, you know, that's not something, you know, like things to ask, things to check on, you know, but I, but I think if I'm, it's a little harder for me to describe maybe because, or I'll just try to describe it. Sure. You know, these things have like a, a, I don't, and I don't know exactly the right language. They have like a energetic neurophysiological feeling to them. Definitely. <laughs> you know? Definitely. This is hard to explain, right? This is not something you can just say like, and this is the feeling, so go recognize it. But you know, like, <laughs> right. people have to have experience, right? You have to right. actually kind of know some of these states yourself. You know? Yeah. Like I yeah. think that's that's it. That's actually people think they can just learn about mindfulness and then teach it. But if you don't know that really haven't gone through a lot of the territory yourself, including being in states of, you know, you know deeply challenging meditative states and even states of kind of like disconnection and disassociation or, you know, where you're, you know, if you don't know that territory yourself, it's, it's hard to teach, you know? And so, so, you know, when somebody is in a, in a disconnected or disassociated state, there's a kind of, you can sort of feel it in the psyche sometimes. Of course, you have to ask questions and check, you know, you want to hear, you can also hear it in how people report on their experience, mm-hmm. you know, but a deeply, con- deep, deep meditative places, you know, it's like, sort of like, it can be very empty. And a lot of it has to do with how it's being described and the kind of the tone of it, right? It's like, you know, sometimes people can, how do you know when somebody's really going, you know, having like a psychotic break? <laughs> Mm-hmm. And when they're just reporting on experience in a certain way, and a lot of it has to do with how they talk about it, 
Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. is there this kind of you know, like clear knowing of it? Mm-hmm. You know, even if the state they're describing seems really out there, you know, uh, that's one aspect. And also, even though it's like the color in the cheeks or like the <laughs> the chi in the in the body, you know, you can kind of like get a feel for that. That's right. Um, and 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 when somebody, when I feel somebody like report, you know, you can tell sometimes people have read a lot of stuff. And so they, they actually are interpreting, they don't realize it, but they're interpreting their own experience right. based on what they've read. And so if you're just listening to the words, it sounds like, hey, you're like, you're like the next Ramana Maharshi. <laughs> right, right, but it, right. But the whole thing feels wrong. Yes. You know, or it just feels yeah. like it's somehow it's fragile or disconnected or I, I feel a little unsettled, right? There's that kind of like counter-transference element or just... Noticing Definitely. the impact in my body of like yeah. that. And so those are just really that ask more questions and get a sense of what's happening. And it's a question. Yeah. Oh, go, go ahead. I just I'm wondering what you do there when, they, when your flags go up. Yeah. Well, internally, say, I think sometimes the, when it's really hard is when the person has, this happens sometimes to people who've read is when they actually are attached to it being a sign of progress. Oh yeah. You know, that's sort of a side thing where sort of like, then it's harder to poke at it or like ask questions. And, yeah. yeah. Can you say about um, either an example of a time where you saw someone maybe go, what felt like they're going down a road, maybe it's trauma related mm-hmm. where it's like, mm, you just have that feeling inside. I really appreciate the way you're saying that it does come over time. I think of this, this neurophysiological experience that someone else is having and we start to track, okay, they might be, mm-hmm they might be in some difficult waters here. And in the book, the, the basic frame for that is around this window of tolerance, like when is it too much or too little? Mm-hmm. But can you say when you're watching someone or you're sensing that someone is at that edge, mm-hmm. um, are there, what are, what are you employing in those moments when you're getting the feeling? Is it, um, I mean, even as practical as do you follow up with them on the phone or not? Or do you give them, what, what kind of questions are you asking? I'm just, people are so curious about what, you know, here you are a decade in the teaching is mm-hmm. what, what, is there a, not a protocol, but how do you, basically how do you handle it? Mm-hmm. It's sometimes a little hard to be general about these things because yeah, that's a thing. so much yeah, of it more. also depends on the context. And like, and this is something I think we don't think about enough in teaching is what is the relational context that I have with the person? Right. Right. Are they my student? Are they somebody I even know? Are they somebody who just came to a class and they're reporting something and it has a feeling to it, you know, and they, or they come to a sitting group and they just are reporting something and I get that feeling, you know, and I, do I say like a little something to them or, you know, or is it on a retreat and somebody is, you know, uh, is it a, you know, and sometimes these are like, <clears throat> they're not just patterns coming up in practice. This could be like a lifelong pattern, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that the practice has kind of fit with that pattern. You know, sometimes that it's like, oh, I've always felt a little detached. So I'm going to sign up for this philosophy about non-attachment. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. right. So it feels like it fits and maybe I belong here. Right. And that's, that can be challenging. Right. And so you want to not be too th- if that's the case again that's why it's hard to say something general because there's so many specifics yes right? for sure and each person but i'll try to say some general things sure. uh, you know that's why i'm just 
careful. I like to ask questions before I go like suggesting, you know, because if it's a lifelong pattern and that kind of thing, it's like, you know, and I'm just seeing them once, I'm not going to make a probably a big impact, but I like to, you know, when I get that flavor, I like to, you know, talk to people about like, you know, rather, so some one, some language I use, and this might be helpful or concrete at least. <clears throat> Sometimes when people seem very detached, you know, and they're describing experience, but it doesn't feel like they're, it feels like they're kind of like not, I, I, I invite them because language is so powerful yeah. to use the term instead of mindful of, to use the term mindful in, you know, so especially with the emotions and things like that, I'm mindful in sadness. And just as a way of invite, uh, yeah. you know, mindful in fear or mindful in, uh, you know, no, so, so again, <laughs> this has to be depending on the person, right? Uh, and you don't want to overwhelm people either necessarily, but sure. But that's a way of just bringing it. Sometimes this mindful of the language, again, that's just language. We have to use language. Sure. It speaks to one aspect of awareness, which is like you can see what's appearing, but it doesn't necessarily point to this aspect of awareness is suffusing everything. And so sometimes when people seem like practice is getting them a little too like removed, I think that language of mindful in, I'm mindful in talking to you, not of talking to you. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm mindful in ex being in being excited. You kind of you get that more pervasive aspect and just allows it to feel <clears throat> a little closer. That's sort of more general pointing, you know. But there's an aspect of I don't know if it's leaning in, but just kind of like you know letting it be a little messier or like inviting it in a little more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, the I uh, was once doing a a traditional i was at a monastery in british columbia where the reporting it was in uh, it was a thai forest tradition mm -hmm. and the reporting at the monastery was actually to, to to not use basically it was something like um uh heat heat is happening mm -hmm. you wouldn't use any kind of first person yeah and that to me felt like the extreme example and that's a great example of um not mindful of but mindful in it yeah and, yeah inviting people into kind of a closer proximity with their experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then if that, and then if that is not happening or that can't happen, then that's information. Right. Yeah. If it's like right. a, like a, the, the psyche won't, you know, that, that, then that's information. And like you said, you know, again, some of this is like slower work. This, this integrating. Yeah. And that's the, I've met, I've been saying this um, on a couple talks recently about, I'll be at places where people are saying, just basically just give me the list, <laughs> just give me the checklist, um, which I think in trauma sensitive practice, there is a checklist. There is, there is a, you know, a practical list of steps that we can implement. These are like teachers saying, give me a checklist. Yeah, teachers or anyone. Uh, yeah. People who are working with students or clients who are saying, you know, basically, I just want to know, I want to check this box mm -hmm. of being trauma sensitive. And which I don't think the impulse, I'm not making that wrong at all, that people want to know that. And I feel like so much of this conversation we're having is about um, this as as a longer term path. Mm -hmm. And over time, going, you know, potentially going slowly, 
being in these, one thing I hear you doing, and I really appreciate that you said not, that it's, you're not in the role of necessarily jumping on something and saying, this is trauma mm-hmm. or this is psychosis, but actually just getting curious when your flags go up internally. Um, and then over, over time, just getting into a longer horizon over time. It's something I'm seeing a lot is this is really just its path as opposed to uh, any kind of short-term solution that we can implement right away. Yeah. Could you, could you, will talk about on this, you know, here you are, um, if, if I believe you're about what, 10 years into teaching now? Uh, <laughs> or maybe longer, but yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe a little longer, man, maybe 12. Or... <clears throat> yeah. So I'm curious what you would say, or how you see your teaching. And if you, if you, if this connects to trauma, great. And if not, don't worry, but where where you've seen you de- you develop over time and how your teaching um, is different now than it would have been say five seven ten years ago mm-hmm. um, and I just I'm saying this because of what you said around I think there can be this idea that if we're if we if we take if we've done a little bit of work around mindfulness if we've have the concept of it, we can teach it and then when I meet these teachers who have been in longer over time, I always get curious. I think, what's teaching like for you mm-hmm. um, now that you've been in that terrain even longer? So mm-hmm. have you changed? <laughs> Something different? Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, we, I can't have not changed, you know, but it's, uh, I think it's also, uh, you know, sometimes it would be better to ask my students, right? Like how I've changed. That's so true. Because like I, I could easily have a story about how I've changed, but that might not even be there. Really, maybe I was like, I've changed in all these ways, and the students like, I haven't noticed anything. Not really. <laughs> not really. <laughs> I don't know. No. Say say the same stuff. You know? uh, <laughs> um, but I can say how I feel. You know, and it's also hard to remember. You know, it's a little hard to remember what I was really doing 10 years ago. Right? Uh, um, I mean, I think it's like my understanding keeps changing or it, I would say not changing in some fundamental way. Cause in a way, yeah, but, but kind of like the, you know, f- just the relationship to the, the, this nature of awareness piece is just that continues to, kind of get, I don't know, like things that I had language for before. So like, yeah, I knew that. I continue to re-experience at various points. Like, oh, I, I knew that, but I didn't know it in this way. Or I didn't mm-hmm. know it this fully, you know. Or um, So that that keeps happening, you know. So I think my, you know, one thing I think that's changed over time maybe is just, and this is something I knew early on, but I, I don't think I inhabit it inhabited it in this fully full and clear way is this kind of you know that really the ultimate side of things right that this just that this nature of awareness is present not only in everyone but as like the underlying truth of what we are 
you know, that there's something here that is like an, the undiscovered treasure, really. And all these things, it's like they've been said before. It's, I'm not the first person saying this stuff. This undiscovered treasure that is not in the domain of the conditioned. Right? It is it, actually all the conditioned phenomena, including the body and the mind, are the expressions of it. Right. And this is where, you know, the word mindfulness is it. Right. This might be the, the last part of what Nyanaponikatera was saying. He said, and it's, you know, mindfulness is the unfailing master key for knowing the mind, the perfect tool for shaping the mind, and the lofty manifestation of the achieved freedom of mind. And I'm not saying I'm living in the achieved freedom of mind. <laughs> I'll just state that. <laughs> but, but this sense of like the nature of awareness is what I think religions are really about underneath it all. What all the different forms and expressions and it gets expressed through culture or something, this transcendent aspect of what we are. It's not only transcendent, but it's also inclusive and imminent. It's just life expressing itself through our nature. And that piece has just gotten much, I don't know if the word closer is right, or just more vivid or more visceral. Uh, and, and that's one thing I notice. How is that affecting my teaching? I'm not sure. Sometimes I just want to talk about that aspect, but it can be for people who don't have a background. That can be just very abstract. Mm -hmm. uh, I still really want to point to it, and maybe I'm pointing to that more directly and more because I think that's actually that's the piece that I think sometimes gets left out about <clears throat> in the kind of count the talk about mindfulness as like this thing, you know this amazing practice that can do all these things for you that sometimes what gets le left out is that, yeah, you know, the ultimate side of this, this like yeah. mindfulness wakes us up to our own nature, yeah. which is something that no trauma. It's like that nature is not corrupted by any trauma, no matter how twisted one feels one has become because of experience or no matter how convoluted the mind becomes and this is something I believe, and it's something I believe from experience, and it's something I see when others like that does not. There's some aspect of experience that is not touched by that, and that's a to me that's that's why freedom is possible. Mm. You know, that's why mm. liberation is possible it's because of the nature of things. You know, so much of the you know the Buddhist practice and all of these real meditative inquiry practices are really about understanding both the nature of the mind and body on an experience level and the underlying nature of, of what we are. So that to me is just continues to be kind of uh, reveal itself in interesting ways. Um, and uh, I also think I'm, so that's, that's one thing that perhaps has, and then I also think I just, you know, I think just being older and having more years and also having had a family and being in the mix. I just, I think I have more deference for how hard it is to be a human being, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And just like, you know, we're all, so this is maybe the balancing the relative and the ultimate and just, you know, what, what people have been through and how hard it is to, for people to just get by and what they're <clears throat> carrying that they're not showing to anybody. And, you know, and so I have a real kind of deference and and for that, and also care. You know, so I kind of care. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm also maybe a little more humble about just 
what other people are supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For I sure. I to, you know, when I was early on, I, I was kind of pretty sure everybody should be doing what I was doing. You know, <laughs> so yeah, it might be the yeah. most important thing. Yeah. Well, there's one thing that you said that I wonder if we could just mm-hmm. spend one more minute on is um, I was thinking, I was imagining being with you and being in the throes of trauma or struggling with trauma mm-hmm. and um, being at, you know, I know. I, I know of people that sit with you and I just so appreciate your teaching and presence and also your humor. Like there's a way that we can take this, this is the most serious thing and yet we can take it, we don't need to take it seriously. There's this way that you seem to be finding this, threading this needle. And I was imagining being in your group for a moment. And if you were to say that, this last piece that you just unpacked, um, this one thing that you said around that there are there are parts of us that are not corrupted uh-huh. by a trauma, and uh-huh. I was thinking, God, if I was to hear that, I would I would probably want to come up to you at the end of the class and say, "Hey, that's I feel so." We could talk about it in different ways, but shame or just that my body—it just seems like the trauma is everywhere. It's uh-huh. hard to remember that there are parts of me uh-huh. that didn't get touched and yeah. i would i think i would just want to ask you like could you say more about um how if you just say more about it because that just gave me a light for a moment of like oh wow how do i get there yeah yeah well again i think this is why it's important to talk about because even just having an idea of something in the beginning you know and i think it's not just an idea i think like a lot of these teachings, sometimes when people hear them, there's a feeling of recognition. Mm-hmm. Right? So if, if, if what I'm saying is true, it might have the ring of truth for people on some level, even if, as so many, it happens with so many people, right? So like, that may be true, but it's not true for me. Right? Or it doesn't feel true. I have no way of accessing that. And this is where I, you know, I point people to it's okay, you know, it's like, it's okay that you don't feel that, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's, and that's why we have a path, right? So yeah. mindfulness is both this immediate capacity to know what's happening in the present. And in that sense, it's a pointer. It's both this capacity to just know I'm breathing in, breathing out, or just know the sensations arising. Right? And as we learn how to be present with the varieties of our human experience, which is the path <laughs> coming, coming and going. And we learn how to be present to all this territory, which beforehand was just off limits to awareness. And we don't just learn it by forcing it. We learn it by actually learning by being and have finding ways to work with experience, right? As we learn how to be present with this experience, all of the stuff that was just the way things are becomes content and awareness, right? Yeah. That's a big shift. And so as that we start to as that starts to happen, we start to recognize, oh, there's something here all the time throughout all the comings and goings of experience. And that's true. There is something that's here all the time that's not coming and going in a way. Right? And so that's so I just sometimes just hearing that is helpful to people. And it also hopefully then is inspiring to have you know to engage the path in a way yeah because and 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 it's not that and people glimpse this in moments they may sense it in moments or they they may have 
have this feeling of of, of kind of uh, that I, I think some part of me believes that that may be true. Yeah. You know, but un- but until it's sort of like you know until we can integrate some of these you know again they don't have to be totally integrated but until awareness can be present with what's happening on some level. Like you talk about that as like dual awareness or something, right? Mm-hmm, Until mm-hmm. there's like awareness and things are happening. Then we start to sense the kind of pervasive nature of this. We recognize the nature of mind that's here, right? And get a sense of this, oh, there's some stability here in which all of this is happening, mm-hmm. right? Even the states, and it doesn't mean those states have to go away. That's the beauty of it, right? It doesn't mean right. we don't have a state where I feel totally closed or clamped, and yet there's something here within it. I said mindful in. There's something here within it that's not just stuck in it. That's actually pervading. It's within it, and it's that in which this is happening. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, um, I think that's the key that you're naming from all I've learned about trauma. That ability to whatever we, if we want to call it, dual awareness. But what you're saying about uh, being able to know what's happening when it's happening that just that space that i'm hearing you talk about like a little bit of distance when i've seen people i mean my i include myself here go through healing trauma unintegrated fragments of just overwhelming mm-hmm. experience it required that ability in the moment to say this is both me and not me or i can let I can just let this feeling that is here have just enough space to to basically move or be present without grabbing hold or needing to go away from it. And um, I'm just thinking back to that those three lines about the key, the, the kind of like the what allows us to unlock. And I I think in this conversation that you and I have been in about where can mindfulness really support trauma healing over time? This is this really important um, kind of sliver around getting just a little bit more space to allow something to move and it could be emotion or a sensation and not grabbing hold, not running away from it, being present for it. And then there's some completion that I think can happen for people or it's integrated, however we want to talk about it. Um, so I'm, I just really appreciate what you're saying about what it means when places that were off limits to awareness start being touched by mindfulness or mindful awareness and and then what becomes possible there and i think just you know what you're describing very beautifully as that as awareness allows gradually allows that piece that fragment as you said to be integrated to find some place or to just be able to exist be okay that little bit of a shift in okayness allows the awareness to become more vivid Right? So mm. it's in, that, that kind of integration is in support of, it actually allows the recognition and abiding and awareness to become stronger. So those, it's almost like those, that awareness is here all the time. And, and sometimes these pieces are just like, we, we are temporarily unable to access. So that becomes stronger. And the strength of that, if we're just thinking about a virtuous cycle, and the strength and stability of that awareness allows more pieces to be integrated. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. And as those are integrated, they are in service in a way, because they're part of, in the nature of awareness, they're in service then of the vivifying of, of resting in our nature. So I think there's this very interesting feedback loop that can come about. And again, that makes it sound too linear and too easy, as any description does. 
but sure. still i think i think that is that's something i've really i've really seen in myself and also in in others that kind of um how the in a way the integration and alignment of the the per, what you might call like the personal right mm, the, mm-hmm, the psyche mm-hmm. allows for the 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 recognition of awareness to become even become more stable yeah that's oh, beautiful yeah i'm glad we i'm glad we touched on this just just anything else here i just want to open space before we close um no this has been it's been fun it's nice to reconnect with you and, and uh i think it's a really important topic you know and, and i'm glad you're writing about it and teaching about it and uh, and i appreciate the invitation to to be in this conversation thanks well i appreciate it and um Thanks for being on. I wanted to have you on as a teacher and just the way that you, I I see you, feel you as a really contemporary um, teacher who just, there's such a great word on the street about what you're up to. So um, happy to have the time and looking forward to more conversation. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Me too. Thanks again for joining us for this inaugural episode of the Trauma-Sensitive Mindfulness Podcast. I've got some great interviews lined up in these coming months, so please join us when we put out a new episode. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast through my website or whatever service you listen on. Until then, take care.